from Boss Track, It's Her Hype Squad, a show about amazing women who've made incredible strides as leaders in their industry. They're here to support you and your leadership growth, to encourage you and hype you up as part of your Hype Squad. Hello, and welcome back to a new episode of Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. I'm your host, Michelle Harris. This week, I talk with Michelle Peacock about building trust, finding your voice, networking and advocacy, and slowing down. Michelle is full of energy and has so much to share from her leadership experience and life experiences. But before we get into our conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Michelle. Michelle Peacock is a visionary leader that grows companies in a people-first culture built on trust. Her mission is to make a difference through her purpose, which is to create an environment where people can be the best version of themselves so they can make a difference and add value. Michelle has spent 20 plus years in operational excellence, pricing, strategy, and innovation, all in the supply chain field of electrical distribution. She recently buttoned up a 20-year career in the electrical industry and is adding a new life layer, branching out to new industries and board seats that value her experience, connections, passions, innovation, and leadership style. Michelle believes in leading with kindness and empathy, where people are able to use their innate strengths to make a profound difference and grow in a company with a heartbeat. She spent six months in a personal discovery journey back to her authentic self, building her tribe and exploring how to view the world through an abundance mindset. Michelle claims that when she stopped letting her job define who she was, she became free to explore the best version of herself and that as a leader Making it safe to bring your whole self to work is a world where we all thrive. If you enjoy my conversation with Michelle, make sure you subscribe to our channel and help more people find us by sharing this episode with others or by leaving a review. Or subscribe to our weekly newsletter filled with things we found that we're excited about and were inspired by, along with valuable leadership advice to watch, listen to, or read. It's a little bit of joy for your inbox each Monday. You can subscribe at www thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Now without further delay, let's get into my conversation with Michelle Peacock. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Hype Squad with Boss Track. We're so excited to have you on and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, get to know your audience better. This is awesome. Well, I'd love for you to start out by providing a little bit of information on your background, your uh, leadership experience, so the audience can hear from you. Yeah, awesome. So I'm Michelle Peacock, and I have 20 years of experience in the distribution field. So I like to claim back at my uh, U of I days that I went into distribution, logistics, and supply chain before it was cool, because it's definitely cool now. But I I went into, um, into the supply chain world. I started at GE Supply, and then I worked my way up to several other distributors. And really, it was about operational excellence, problem solving, data analysis, really understanding how all of the operational processes were connected. That was really where my my journey kind of started, but then really grew into it. Because as you look at the world of operations and pricing and, and optimization and profitability, I kind of started realizing that all the different departments were all very connected and they all had a big play. They all had 
kind of a big piece to it. So I would say most of my experience is really in connecting the dots between those departments. You know, um, I would say most of my specific experience in the operation side is in the pricing world. That was really where my passion was, was the pricing. Cause I think it was like, it was the most complicated and it was also the most unseen at a company, right? It was one of those those things where it was like, you come in and they're like, well, just go fix pricing. And I was like, cool, how do I do that? And they're like, oh, we don't know. We just need you to kind of go figure it out. And I just loved that problem solving aspect. I think whatever problem I, I might've been given, I probably would have said that was kind of my strategic play. But pricing was really something that, not a lot of people had a lot of visibility to and something that I just naturally kind of gravitated to on the data side, right? Because it was one of those moments where you're like, okay, well, pricing is is all based on a formula. And then once you understand the formulas, it was like, wait a minute, but now I have to understand the cost. And wait a minute, now I have to understand how the costs are negotiated. And wait a minute, well, now I have to understand the data of how the items get in the system. And it, and it kind of just kept going backwards and backwards and and so that's really just kind of how I fell in love with the pricing and the operations and, and really just how it's all connected. So I've stayed in distribution for 20 years. Uh, right now, I am kind of going back to kind of my pricing roots and thought leadership around pricing and profitability optimization. So it's been a really, really, it's been a fast 20 years, but I also feel like you know, you have that that kind of groundwork that's really going to set the stage for the next 20 years. So it's it's, it's been an exciting journey and um, and I'm excited for the next 20 as well. You are also with uh, in your leadership career, you're also juggling working as a mom as well, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So uh, my personal side is, you know, I really, there was a lot of moments in my life when I had to kind of like put my mom hat on. Right. So my mom, like I always say I'm a mom first in my career, not, not that it comes mm -hmm. second, but mom is my first title. And so I've got three boys. Uh, they are right now 12, how old are 12, sorry, 12 at 10 and almost seven. And so they still have, you know, the need for mom. I still want to be involved in their life. I still, you know, they still need me to drive them, take them everywhere. And I did realize that kind of earlier in my career when they were really little, I was able to take not a pause on my career, but I was definitely able to take a step back and say, it's okay that my career is going to plateau for a little bit and I'm going to really get into the the weeds on one role because it gives me the flexibility to be a mom, to have that flexibility, you know, and then later now in my career, I've been able to do other things as my kids got a little older, but, but yeah, I'm a mom first and, you know, I still want to make their baseball games and their Taekwondo lessons and take them to swimming lessons and not feel like I'm the only mom that doesn't know their teacher's names and go to the parent teacher mm -hmm. conferences. So, so it's definitely a, a balance as you grow your career to kind of take those moments and pauses of your life where you're okay, just sitting still for a little bit too. And that's something I've been very grateful to have as, as well in my life. Yeah, definitely. So how, how is it having three boys? I, I had two boys. I, I I mean I have two boys, but they're not boys anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, how is that for you? You know, it is full of energy. Yeah. And it's full of unconditional love. And it's full of like being the cool mom, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
I get to be that mom that like everybody gets to come over and play the video games and have the popcorn machine and, you know, like the pool in the backyard and the trampoline. And, and in all fairness, those were just like survival mode moments for me of like, I have three boys that I have to keep busy at all times. <laughs> and so every year I would invest in like one new fun activity for the summer or the year to like keep them busy and, and kind of be new. So I've kind of become as, as you know, the kids grew up, it was the fun house, kind of the cool mom that, but it was, it was that like, I work hard so that I can give my kids those things. And I can have some of those little extra perks that sometimes they feel selfish because I feel like it makes my life easier. Right. Like I was one of the only people that like bought a bouncy house and everyone was like, why would you do that? I'm like, because it's really easy to just set up in the backyard and now my kids can get all their energy out, you know? Oh my gosh. So I feel like it's given me a, a different view of life. It's given me more patience. I come from a family of all girls and moms and sisters. And so it was interesting for me to have sports and, and yeah. dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. It was definitely not in my comfort zone, I would say. I'm kind of a girly girl that likes to dress up and wear makeup and do all the girly stuff. But there's nothing like that bond between a mom and her son. And yeah. it's, it's been very special. And it's also, it's like just fun. Cause you know, they like to need their moms a little bit. So I get to like have that softer side with them as well, which, you know, I'm raising the next generation of men in the, in the world. And I think that, that men need to have empathy as well as figure out how to get out their energy. So energy and empathy, and I'm trying to balance both of them with my boys. <laughs> yeah. It's it. And I know people probably already tell you this, but it goes by fast. So enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy it. It does. I know I'm already like some of my friends, right? Today's May 1st. So it's like the college application processes, you know, or people have to decide when it, when they're due. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not that far away anymore from my 12 year old. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like it feels so far away, but it also feels like yesterday he was six. So yeah, it's, it's uh, it definitely goes fast. I think that's why you enjoy each phase that you're in because yes. it's a phase, it's a moment. Some nights I want to hang up my mom badge because work feels so much easier than dealing with everything else. But, you know, there are days I, I always tell myself when I'm looking around at my cluttered house, I'm like, you know what? There's one day I will miss it. I will miss mm -hmm. tripping over their toys and their socks everywhere and, you know, feeling like the bathroom is never going to be clean ever again, but that's okay. <laughs> So true. So true. So going back to your experience in pricing, I imagine in that role, you had to work with so many different people in your organization, the procurement department, the finance department, the operations. Yep. I don't know if you were in, uh, in a manufacturing environment, but if that was involved, like what how did you approach your relationships to be able to get what you needed from them? Like what, mm. how did you build that relationship? That's a really great question. I think earlier in my career, I was a little more forceful with it, right? Like I need answers and I need them now and I've got a job to do. Mm. And I think I realized that as I matured in my career, it was just about being intellectually curious, right? It was like, people didn't want to feel like they were put on the spot. They didn't want to feel like they maybe didn't know the answers. But they also wanted their input to be valued and used in the in you know in whatever you were doing. So it was really about relating to people, getting to know them. As I really matured in my career, it was really about building trust, right? It was about that foundation of saying, "Look, I have 
the best intentions with everything that's playing out right now. And if people give you the benefit of the doubt that you have the best intentions with either how you're asking the question or what you're doing with it, or if even if I have to come down and tell them that this is the sell price that they have to charge and, you know, we have to raise margins as a company or commissions aren't going to get paid, right? It was always about kind of boiling it down to like what's in it for them. And just making sure that that trust was there, that they knew that the right intentions were behind every decision. And as I matured in my leadership, you don't always have to explain why you make a decision. But I also think that building that trust along the way was something that really helped me in my leadership style. Because then people, when you make a decision, they they tend to trust it a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the vendors start trusting you. and, And I think it's just about being honest and being consistent, right? I think it's, if you're honest with the vendors about what you're, why you're trying to reduce costs or what you're going to do with the pricing, or if you're, if you're honest with the salesperson of like why you have to raise pricing, or this is a price increase, right? I think it's just that transparent consistency. And it really just boils down to trusting people. I mean, that is a very simplistic baseline, but I think that that was something that earlier in my career, I was more focused on the end result and less about the journey of how I got there. And I think that that was something that I learned along the way was really just letting people know that they're a part of the journey with you. And, and everybody likes to feel part of the journey and feel needed and feel like their say is valued. So I think that that would be, yeah, I'm trying to think even as I extended into my journey Building trust. Yeah. I mean, it really just boils down to building trust because I think that, and I also think too, a piece of that as I, as I matured in my career was I've been where they were at. Like I worked my way up from like the Excel copy paste person up through data entry. Like I feel like just putting in your due diligence and proving that you've been in their shoes also help. But again, that helps build trust. So it's like kind of the same thing, but earlier in my career, it was just about doing the work Mm-hmm. asking the intellectual questions, building trust along the way. And then when it was my turn to make the decisions, it almost kind of was easy because I had the experience. I knew how to make a decision and I had the trust of the people behind me. So yeah. I feel like that journey definitely takes a little bit of speed bumps along the way. Cause right. You're not going to always get along with every person or every decision. And there's some people that like to keep their information close to their chest. They don't like to give the information because they don't know what you're doing with it or they don't trust you. So I do think there's some personalities along the way. You kind of have to speed bump through a bit, but overall, I think as long as you are consistent um, and truthful, I think that at the end of the day, that, that foundation of trust is, is what makes the biggest difference. Yeah, I agree. Trust is so foundational to leadership. It's I mean, whether you're leading your team, whether you're leading laterally across the organization, or even with that relationship with your your boss and upwards. So it's uh, definitely something I don't believe gets talked. Like, actually, I see it. I mean, it's talked about a lot more, and maybe it's the bubble (laughs) that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, But it's something historically, like I know when I was coming up as a leader, it's not something that was, there aren't a lot of books about it you know, maybe one or two key books that I, I like to recommend, but sure. it's just such a foundation so that I feel like there should yeah. be like way more <laughs> available out there. Yeah. Well, and I think some of the speed bumps in my career were because of lack of trust. And that even makes it more important along the way to realize that, you know, when you, when you're, 
not seeing eye to eye to somebody, why is that? Like, do you, have you really listened to them? Have you really heard their side of the story? And if you have, at the end of the day, do you just not trust them? Is that really what it boils down to? And I think throughout the process, you realize when that trust is broken, it's a lot harder to work as a team and to come over those struggles together. And I think that even makes it come full circle to how important it is from the get-go, mm-hmm. you know, because I think as a leader, you we're going to make mistakes, right? We're going to make decisions with the wrong information. And that trust is there if people know that you did the best with the information you had in the moment, they trust you to say, hey, I messed up. I made a decision. I moved too quickly. I didn't have all the right facts and I apologize or we need to pivot and move this way. And this is what you know, where it went with the business. And I think that just that transparency, not only does that build trust, but it also helps them realize that you admit when you didn't have the right information along the way. I mean, I just think that all of that comes full circle eventually. Yeah. So besides trust, what leadership qualities would you say are most important for new leaders coming up in the organization? I would say as a new leader coming up, I would really be authentic. I think that sometimes people try to be somebody they're not. And eventually that kind of breaks along the way because when you're in moments of stress, your innate characteristics really come out. And so I think that the more you're your authentic self, the more that you're coachable along the way and the more that you can pivot and take feedback. Sometimes I think early in my career, When I wasn't necessarily being myself, I was trying to be one of the men or trying to, you know, stand up in the room. When I got criticism, it almost felt not personal because I was like, well, that's not really me. You're kind of criticizing what you see. But if you really knew what, you know, where I was coming from, it makes that that feedback become less impactful and more like you weren't being yourself along the way. So I think being yourself is important. I also think just leading with kindness is, is really a trait that I that I see, I just think it goes a long way. There's enough bad things that happen in a day that, you know, pointing fingers and breaking trust, at the end of the day, it burns bridges along the way. And and I think that so many people along the way, um, they might not realize it, but like, if you burn a bridge, you have a long career ahead of you with some of these very same people. And Mm -hmm. so if you always lead with kindness and consistency of who you are, I think that that is going to really resonate as you go through your career. Because one thing people know about me is they know my brand and they know who I am. And over, you know, as much as you mature and you gain an experience, you're always, you know, people like, oh, you were always so kind. You know, you were always so helpful. You always were a problem solver. And those are the things that your credibility goes up along the way. But I think those are some of those consistent traits of just knowing your authentic values and and just staying consistent to them. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean you're going to break down. And maybe your authentic trait isn't kindness, right? That's one of mine. But I do think that it goes a long way in people knowing that that you're doing the best that you can. And I think as a new leader, doing the best that you can is important because you're going to learn along the way. And I just think that sometimes people try to be who they're not along the way. And that's yeah. sometimes harder to overcome those hurdles because they weren't, either they weren't doing their best or they weren't being themselves. And then you almost have to like reinvent the wheel a little bit to go back and recreate that. So I would just say if a new leader is is being yourself, 
and just really doing your best. I think those are two traits that I always see when someone's trying and I always see when someone's giving it, they're all doing their best. And I can, like, even if they're struggling, it's like, okay, I want to help you so much because I see you're struggling, but I see you're also really, really trying. And to me as a leader now, like that's a very endearing quality to me and somebody who is coming up and whether they're a leader or not, that's something that that I would see as a very valuable trait of, of a leader I would deem worthy of growing and investing in. Yeah. Do you think that that can lead when you're when you're tr- being somebody that you're not, it can even exacerbate <laughs> the feeling uh, feelings of imposter syndrome as you're coming up through your career? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because it's like, if you're not actually being who you are, then you're going to judge yourself for not being who you are just as much as you think everyone else is already judging you. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would just be like a compounding judgment on yourself. I mean, one thing I look back and I realize I wish I was kinder to myself when I was growing up and when I was going through the through the journey, it's like, just, just be kinder to yourself. Like sometimes I'm my own worst judge or enemy of like, oh, that wasn't perfect. Or I can't believe I said that. Or, and I relive it in my head or I overthink things. And I think at the end of the day, some of that is that imposter syndrome of just, you kind of judge yourself and like, oh, I can't believe I just said that. I sounded like, like such an idiot. Like they must, Mm -hmm. they never going to want to invite me to another meeting again. Like I spoke up too much, you know? And I think that just that judgment on ourselves leads to that self-doubt. And then you almost kind of self-doubt yourself in the next meeting. And I think that could be compounding if you don't just kinder to yourself, make, all right, next time talk a little less or next time I'm going to do this differently and use it as a learning lesson and not like treat yourself as a punching bag. And I think that those definitely could compound, especially, you know, very early on when you're not quite on your A game, you don't have the practice, you know, you are intimidated by certain people in the room. You don't want to sound ignorant or stupid or that you don't know what you're talking about. I think those are all really real fears of a new leader. And and that leads you to be somebody who you think that will impress them. And maybe you would already impress them by being intellectually curious and asking the right questions. And I think that's something that's bode well for me in my career is I ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes sometimes I should maybe not ask so many, but at the end of the day, it shows I care. It shows I'm trying. It shows I'm learning. And I think that that balanced with then the statements of confidence, they show that you're that you kind of grow your credibility along the way. Yeah, I have like along that conversation, I had like th- three or four different paths of questioning I wanted to go off in. Oh, let, let sorry. Go I went the, the, No, <laughs> this is great. So the, uh, the most recent thing you said was going into a, a meeting or conversation and being afraid of maybe saying the wrong thing. Do you do you have any, any tips or advice for people that do, that are afraid to speak up. Maybe they think that, well, I think I understand everything, but maybe I am missing a piece. So I don't want to raise my hand and ask a question that is like way off base. Like, do you have any recommendations for them? Oh, that's a good one. I would say something that I've seen work really well and I've used is rephrasing what you heard and not turning it back into a question, but saying, you know, what I think I heard you just say is that the the leadership style that we're talking about is lead with empathy and kindness. Is that correct? Right? And someone will say, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, great. So then I'd like to add to that. 
that I feel this. And so it's like you confirm and then build on it so that they see where your thoughts are coming from. But then you can jump in a little softer and not be like, oh, yes, I think that empathy is absolutely better than kindness. And they're like, that's not quite what we were talking about. We were talking about both of that. I'm just making this up, obviously. Yeah, right. you know. But it's like, if you confirm what you heard them say and then build on it, I think that that's a way of not only jumping into the conversation without being like, where is this chick coming from? Like, I think, because sometimes I remember earlier in my career, like I would save a really good thought and then hope I could like bring it up later. Like, ooh, I'm going to write this one down. This is going to be good. And then later in the conversation, it never quite comes up, but I would like bring it up and interject and it's not quite flowing with the conversation anymore. And I think those are those moments of like, man, I just have to be not afraid to interject right when it makes sense. And I think that that comes across as more mature. And then, like I said, just rephrasing it a little bit, like what I heard you say is, and I'd like to build on that, something that just validates what you're hearing so that Mm -hmm. you can have the confidence to continue your sentence. And most kind leaders will validate, you know, yeah, that's, that's, or, or no, that's not quite what I meant. What I meant is this, and then you can build on that. So then you don't feel like you're playing into something and maybe arguing against them. You're like validating their thought and then feeding into it with your opinion. So I would say it's hard without a specific example, but I feel like that is a really good way of like, what I heard you say is, is just a good way of leading in, but also jumping into the conversation without interrupting or having like a thought that you had five minutes ago that no longer is relevant. Cause that's something I used to do quite a lot. Yeah, I like that advice. And it definitely helps too if it's if you're about to disagree with somebody. Yep. Because when you're going to disagree with somebody, you want to definitely want to make sure that you're in understanding with what they're saying. Um yep. so yeah, I think that and and just having the confidence to speak up and and knowing that no ideas you have are stupid. I mean, you're in the room for a reason. You're you have valuable insight that people need to hear. And one of the things that I was guilty of when I was early in my career was I would think to myself, well, maybe that's, this is not the right time to talk about that. So I would wait and I would talk to the person leading the meeting later and I'd be like, well, what about this? And I didn't bring it up. And it was completely applicable to the conversation and I should have brought it up and it's you know then I I just jilted everybody else out of having a conversation around that 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 piece of information well I love what you just said too about your perspective right you can jump in with you know I feel like my perspective in the room is is from this point of view so I'd like to share you know whatever my fact is because then you say whether it's in agreement or disagreement, like from my perspective as a millennial, a Gen Z, a whatever it is, you know, or from my perspective as the user of this product, here's how I view it. My perspective as the salesman of this product would be this. So sometimes framing your thought as what perspective you're coming from can also lead the conversation, like you said, down a path of like, you feel like you can jump in because it's your perspective. What are they going to do? Argue with your perspective? Like you're not trying to be argumentative. You're trying to add to the conversation. And right. to your point, maybe it could go in a really health, healthy direction. Right. Yeah. And so the other thing that came up when, when you were talking, and it, I wanted to ask this because 
of an article that I read just recently, and I wish I had more of the details and the name of the article, but you're coming from a very, I would assume, male-dominated industry distribution. I've been in distribution myself. (laughs) I was one of the few women there. And, and we also talked a little bit about networking as you were moving up in your leadership positions and authentic, authenticity. So how, how did you maintain your authenticity, but also join in on the boys club activities? So what the article that I'm talking about is, it was basically saying that women, women aren't going, they're not likely to go out in the golf course and network and they're losing opportunities because of that. It was like, it wasn't very helpful because it wasn't saying, well, maybe that's a sign of a very male, uh, historically male business world that isn't changing with the times. But that's, that's kind of why I bring that up. Like, what did you do to stay networked and connected? You know, it's a great point. Because if you don't golf, right, you're not invited to the golf outings. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is something to be said about finding your comfort zone there of do you want to attend the golf outing and just ride along in the cart? If so, you can still network without swinging a club if that's comfortable for you, right? Like, I do think everybody has to do what's comfortable for them. That was never something that was comfortable for me. But what I did is I made sure that I showed up at the 18th hole when they were all coming off of the course to go have a drink, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, hey, I'm going to meet you guys at the event a little bit later, or let's meet for a drink either before you guys golf or after, like some way of incorporating yourself into it without having to do the actual event if it was something that you didn't want to do. The other thing that I'm not saying this necessarily fixes the male dominance part of it, but I really started networking with the women. I was like, okay, well, whatever women are going to be there, we're going to go and do something else while the men golf and really just maximizing the opportunity to network how it felt comfortable, whether it was joining in, you know, in, in your own way or the other piece that I, I have to admit did really well for me was I got to network with the men's wives at some of the events that we went to. Well, you know, you do have some pull there when you become friends and shopping buddies with the guy on the golf court's wife, then they want to sit next to you at dinner. And then that gives you a seat at a different table for a different reason. So I think you have to do what works for you. Um, there are some times that I was just flat out excluded and that does mm-hmm. suck. Mm-hmm. You know, so how are you going to make up for that? Or how are you going to network around the situation so that you don't feel excluded? And I think that there's going to be times when it's both, when you have an opportunity to network your way and when you don't. I also really got involved in a lot of my industry events. And those tend to be a lot of networking at the tables or at the um, at the dinner beforehand. And yes, you have like breakout sessions where you might go golf or go do something, but just making sure to maximize your time when you are together, I think is an important piece of the networking. But I really just started networking with a lot of the women. I got involved in the women in industry groups. I got involved in other communities. And I do think that that is, in my humble opinion, where a lot of the direction of, of networking is headed. It's like the boys have their boys group and they help each other. Well, us women know how to network a whole different way. And mm-hmm. we're going to do it in a very impactful way. It's just a different style. We're going to have brunch 
or we're going to go do this, or we're going to have coffee Zooms or go to our, have our kids do events together. I mean, those levels of bonding and networking, I think women just do it a little differently. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I've done both, right? I've tried to jump in with the men. And then I've also just been like, meh, I'm going to go over here and do something and build my relationship. I would call it from a different angle, right? And I do think that that also helped me realize where I fit in and where I didn't. Because if the men were so exclusive that they weren't including you in those conversations, I started realizing over time that maybe those are conver- like maybe those are conversations that I'm okay moving on from, you know, and and not feeling like the resentment about it, but realizing that maybe that's just not if I'm not being welcomed in that community, I'm going to put my energy towards something that brings value. And whether it was focusing more on the vendor side or the women's side or in all fairness, there are some points in your career where you realize that your values and what you're adding to the conversation, if it's not being valued, that could potentially be a time to move on from something. And I, as I got more mature in my career, I've left two companies where I said, okay, I just don't think that my value is being appreciated and seen. And the networking is really for not no resentment. It's just as far as I could take it. Mm-hmm. And when I've reached that that value ceiling, I'll call it, that's not my fault, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm not being valued for my experience or what my perspective brings to the table, then maybe it's time to go find a new table, right? Yeah. And I think that takes some maturity. One of the times that I was very unaligned in my career, I had a really great boss. And this, I think, was one of your questions at another time, but it was like, I really wanted a certain compensation raise, right? And we had a very difficult conversation and he finally just said, Michelle, you and this company are never going to be aligned. I think you should just know that now. And I remember being devastated, like, oh my God, you don't see my value. You don't think like I'm only going to get a three to 4% raise from now till like forever. Like, well, shoot, it was the most heartbreaking yet pivotal moment in my career to say, well, then this isn't where I can stay. This is not, I don't have to resent it. I can just pivot and go somewhere that I'm valued. And I do think as women, we don't often take that pivot moment and be brave and be bold and say, you know what, I want to be where I'm invited to a seat at the table and not always having to do a workaround. And so I think that depending on where you're at in your career and, you know, your career aptitude and your growth, I think those are sometimes easier decisions to make than others. But I do think later in my in my career, I was like, you know what, that's just a table that I no longer want to be. I don't yeah. want to sit at there even if I am invited. And I think those are big moments um, of maturity in a career where I, I, I do think though, it's like, don't burn the bridge and drop the F-bomb and throw a scene <laughs> and be like, that's what you get for not inviting women. You don't make a scene about it. Just, I always try to take the high road and be like, you know what? I'm not valued in this conversation and I I want to be valued in this conversation. So I'm going to go find somewhere that I'm valued. And yeah. I think knowing your values and, and where you're at in a relationship, at work, at home, wherever you're at, I think those are important things to realize that sometimes it's okay to walk away. Yeah. Was your boss trying to help you develop? Was he trying to mentor you and help you take a positive step for your career? Like, was he coaching you out for your own benefit or what, what was his intent in telling you? 
and telling me the compensation piece, I think he could tell I was really angry. Okay. I was really bitter and frustrated. And at that moment in his career, again, this is hindsight, but he was also not long staying there. (laughs) So I think he was kind of just like, look, I just want you to know, like behind closed doors, this is your ceiling. And I just think you should know that because I feel the frustration and the anger in you. And that's, you're just not aligned with where we're at. And I think it was actually a moment of kindness, even though it was a very hard moment to hear. Um, it, for him, I think it was a moment of kindness. And also he didn't have much to lose because he was on his way out. So it was one of those moments where I think it was a coaching moment of it's okay to not be aligned and to walk away. You know, I ended up pivoting and going into a different department and then adding value and growing, but it was just kind of a moment of like, you're going to need to do something different to take Mm -hmm. that next level. Like you can't just stay doing what you're doing and continue to get raises. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's such an important part of a leader's responsibility with their team is developing them and developing them for hopefully growth within your team and your organization. But when, for whatever reason, that alignment gets out of whack and they want something different than helping them grow in that direction and supporting them as they move on potentially move on from your team within the organization or outside of it. I just think that is something that, you know, it's, it's hard to take that position as a leader, because when you have somebody that's good on your team, you don't Mm -hmm. want to lose them because you're, it's hard to sometimes hard to find good people. So it's hard, but you have to be unselfish in that way. And I think it's, it's so important. And, and people in the rest of your your team sees that. And Mm -hmm. I think it, word gets around and it's, you know, you can hire people more easily because they want to work for somebody like you. It just, there's this, this full cycle of benefits from not only to the person that you're helping, but to, to you as well. Yeah. Well, and just having a big picture for the organization of like where everybody adds their own strengths and their own buckets, you know, and people outgrow roles Mm -hmm. and, or they outgrow their, you know, like I have had several people that I managed in my life that they were starting a family and they were like, look, baby and daycare. And like, now my life has a new, a new set of rules to it. And where does my career go to support that? And I think as a leader, you have to meet people as the, the whole person and you have to let them evolve. And I think that sometimes, like you said, people are like, nope, we invested in you and you have to stay in this position. And it's like, okay, but I mean, they might just quit. And then we're back mm-hmm. to like square zero again. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had situations where we coach somebody up and one manager was really upset about it. And the other was like, well, what are you going to do? They're either going to quit or they're going to move on and then help grow the team underneath them and develop and grow into something else. And at the end of the day, those are, I mean, you would hope that the leadership would be aligned on on keeping good employees. The in- the retention piece is becoming huge, right, at organizations. And mm-hmm. if you don't grow people and pay them what they're worth, I think at this point, people are less loyal to companies that don't develop them. So what I, what I do think is fair of a company to ask in return is like a commitment, right? Like if we're going to pay for this, let's say, personal development class or this membership for you, I think it's okay then for a company to ask in return 
for a commitment of some kind of like, well, you know, to either stay and develop a team or to grow something. But outside of that, I think it has to be a win-win, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't force somebody to want to stay somewhere, you know? Uh, Do you have a story that you would be willing to share of a time that you made a mistake and what you did to recover from that mistake? You know, yes. It's really funny because I don't know how to word this, but like, I'm very quick. I respond to things quickly and I look at things and I'm responding. There's a lot of times when I will like jump in and answer a question and like the email is not directed to me or I was like blind copied on something and that I should not be replying to and I reply all. I have learned a lot of lessons from that of like, ah, shit, not only do I look like I'm micromanaging that person now, I was just trying to help. I was just trying to jump in and be like, oh, I'm on my phone. I'll quick reply. I'll give my two cents. And I got to say, man, sometimes that really backfires because if I'm like not even noticing that I'm blind copied on something, it's like, oh, well, now you just blew their cover that they blind copied you. Mm -hmm. So I have, I've gotten busted a few times where I'm just trying to go too quickly and reply to emails and I'm not paying attention to either who it was to or that I was blind copied on it. And I would have to say there's definitely been some times, I mean, it's, it's like everyone kind of gets it, but those are moments of caution where I'm like, oh man, I have not learned my lesson there a few times. Again, I just like, I don't know, maybe I can blame my phone. Like, oh, I didn't see, but I just like jump in too quickly. And I think that's something that you know, it's, it, there's a book by Liz Weissman, the uh, multipliers. And it's one of my accidental diminishers. It's like, I jump in just to be, just to be helpful and try to help. And sometimes it can be perceived as micromanaging or like, okay, well, that wasn't even like addressed to you. I just copied you on it. So I don't know. Those are some of the mistakes that I know I've made. And then I have to go and apologize or be like, oh, my bad. I was only blind copying on it. And I think so. those are some of the the moments where I get my hand slapped a little bit is when I jump in too quickly or the perception of how I replied because I jumped in so quickly was that, okay, well, I'm just going to take charge and do it then, right? Yeah. Like you guys are all whatever. So I do think that there's moments where like perception and reality are very different. Um, and I've had to learn to just like pause for a moment, let the team handle it. I just want to move things forward so quickly that I've definitely messed up on those fronts before. Yeah. And then the perception is like, hey, we talked about this. Like, I thought you were going to let me handle it. And then here you go replying to the email. And I'm like, oh, you're so right. I'm so sorry. Like the yeah. intention. And that's where, though, that trust relationship comes in, though, because it's like, I know what you were trying to do. I know you were like rushed and doing something and you just wanted to quickly give your two cents, but the timing of it was off. And yeah. sometimes that perception, um, especially for people like me that are just, I just want to be helpful and I want to move fast and I want everyone to like get along and know my opinion. And I feel like that's the greater good. That's not always how it's received. Yeah. So that's where that like trust and like people knowing that you have the right intentions gives you that grace to make those mistakes. Yes. But there are times when people are not as gracious and you learn from those as well, you know. And that book that you mentioned was by Liz Weissman called mm -hmm. Multipliers. Yeah, it's a really good mm -hmm. book. Um, I read it in the last like year or two. And it's about how even good managers have the right intentions can come across a different way, right? Like yeah. I get like, you're always on, you're always energetic, you always have ideas, you're always brainstorming. 
But an accidental diminisher of that is maybe the teams participate less because they're just waiting for you to give the answer or you to be energy or you to have it. Like they know they can almost be lazy because you're going to save the day. You're going to jump in. You're going to give the answers. You're going to do the agenda and save the day. And at the end of the day, that really doesn't help anybody. And it usually adds stress to me as a manager. So it's like understanding those accidental diminishers when the intentions are pure but it has negative results. I think those are those were some learning curves for me. And and also good conversations to have with your team. Like if you read the book together or you're like, hey guys, I can see how I came across there, right? The perception is that I thought I had the answer, but I really just wanted to brainstorm. And I'm really sorry it didn't come across that way, you know, yeah. because I jumped in too quickly or I just am so energetic and so excited. Sometimes people are like, oh my God, not today, Michelle. Like it's a Monday, you know, like, (laughs) like I can't have your energy today. So it's just, I think acknowledging when sometimes your best intentions are are ill-received is something that that book really teaches. Because we all have different accidental diminishers, you know? Yeah. That was good. Sorry. I I was going to say, I haven't read the book, but I imagine that is a perfect book for new leaders to read because Mm -hmm. it's better to know those pitfalls that you can run into early on and you can avoid them as you're starting. And I love the idea of reading it with your team because then you basically have a support group that everybody's on the same page and can speak in that language. Hey, I think you're exhibiting <laughs> the diminisher yeah. number, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. um, and it can be, a, I think a, that sounds like it could be a very good team building exercise. Yep. Yeah. And again, in, in an environment of trust, when people are like, hey, Michelle, can we just tone it down a notch yeah. today? I'm not, I'm just, your energy is too much. I could be like, okay. Right. Cause there's a level of respect there. So yeah. I do think that you have to have that like respect and that trust built, but I do think that some of those, I, I know for me, a lot of my growth trajectory and some of the feedback and constructive feedback, it really did tie back to what those diminish accidental diminishers were. And I, I definitely wish I had known how some of those perceptions were like, Especially when you're like young and energetic and, you know, you have all this energy and ideas to give. You think everybody wants to hear everything you have to say, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes they do. And and sometimes you need to know when to, to rein that back a little bit. And again, there's, I think there was like nine or 10 diminishers and some of them I don't have. So it's like, I'm fine <laughs> sitting back and letting somebody fail in theory, because I, I think that's a really good learning moment. And I definitely want to see people try things on their own. Some people like to just rush it and save the day on everything. That one's not me. But understanding what manager it, that is, right? Mm-hmm. And being like, hey, let's, it's okay. Let's let them like fail on this one. And I don't mean fail, like they're going to fail, fail. But let's let them have that learning moment of, and and we we kind of work through that together. Yeah, I guess it would be a little depressing if you read the book and you were like, I have all 10. (laughs) So much to work on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think perceptions are really huge early in your career. It's like what you think you're being perceived as is from a different experience level or generation or or you're perceived very differently than your intentions. And I think that's a maturity that I really wish I would have worked on a little earlier in my career. Yeah. Speaking of that, what would you say is the best leadership advice you received as a leader? Um, 
I would say a couple things. One, earlier in my career was slow down. Like I do feel like I tried to rush everything very early in my career. And I think that was one of the the best words was whether it's talking, right? Slow down or whether it's just slow down the expectation of, of how quickly something is going to go. And I think that that has pluses and minuses, but as I've worked with a lot of, um, you know, some, some newer managers, I feel like they talk so fast. They don't even know. They didn't, I'm like, wow, was that me? I bet that was me. Like just learning how to talk a little bit slower. That was really good advice. I really think another really set of good advice was to kind of know your value. And it was that pivotal moment of it's okay to have like outgrown something and to move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was more like a life coach kind of to me moment of, look, it's okay that you're not aligned with the strategy that the company's going. It is okay to say like, we're going in different directions. And I think it's time for me to explore another option without burning a bridge, without getting to that point of resentment. I do think that that was really good advice. And, and part of it was that compensation piece of like, hey, you're not aligned here, but you've outgrown this team. And I think that's okay. I think you need to grow and do something else. Right. And, right. and I do think that those moments of somebody looking you in the eye and saying, like, I think you, you've outgrown where you're at today. And what does that look like next? I, I think those are moments that, um, you just have to be okay to know your value and know when to walk away from something. And I think that's part of like knowing your values and knowing what value you bring to something. And also maybe a piece of knowing when you don't fit in. Right. And it's when you don't fit in that I feel like sometimes you try to buck the system to try to fit in when maybe your best option is really just to walk away for whatever reason. You're not aligned there anymore. You're not you're not being valued. You don't have a seat at the table. And I'm not saying any of that is right, but sometimes bucking the system to to prove a point isn't really going to have the end result you want either. So yeah. I don't know. I think that some of the pivotal moments looking back in my career was when I was really confident to walk away from something. And, and I did it with class and I did it with very good reasons of saying, look, we're just not strategically aligned in where this is headed. And so I'm moving on to this different direction. And whether that's been closing a chapter in my career or a team to walk away from, I, I think those are moments that you have to just be okay finding somewhere that you are valued and where you where you can make a difference. And I think you have to be pretty self-aware to have those moments and know when it is. And I think sometimes those moments of explosion a little earlier, you know, might be a sign that you should walk away or go somewhere else where you're valued or it's not the right company culture for you. And I think I'm really glad that that culture is being talked about more and, you know, leading with kindness and knowing like, are your values aligned with the values of the company, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it's one thing to say it, and I think it's another thing for the company to exhibit those behaviors. But I think at that point, it boils down to like your your nucleus of your team and your manager at hand. And you know, there are some times in my career that I had a rough couple years with with a manager or something was going on, and you get through it. But I think just having that self awareness to move on is also a big piece of advice that I learned and. Like I just, I'm just loyal to a fault. So sometimes I have a hard time being like, no, if they just, if we just aligned on the strategy, we could go this way. And it's like, 
that it's okay that you don't. That's a, a nice door closure for you to walk, to go and do something else. So yeah. sometimes I think that that's hard to hear. And yeah. I think that that just takes some courage to, to move on to something bigger and better. Yeah, that's great advice. That's really, really great advice. Is there a mentor that you had looking back in your career that you attribute a lot of your success or your ability to get through a hard time in your career? You know, there's a few people in my career that pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And I think that those people had more to do with like me knowing my value and pushing me to kind of think through those things a little bit more. Like I remember when um, I was building a pricing team and someone was like, no, no, you need to report to the COO. You need to have a seat at the table. Like you need to put this in front of the right people. I remember being like, no, no, no. Like I'm not ready for that. So I feel like I had several people that really advocated for me early on when I wasn't in the room. Um, I had several people that did that for me. And I think looking back, I didn't put enough credit to that, that I do now. And that's a leadership style that I've really taken is like, you know, I had somebody that wanted to quit once and I was like, no, no, not only am I going to advocate for you when you're not in the room, I'm going to tell you where your value is and where I see you headed and in that growth plan for your career. Right. And it doesn't mean you're going to save all of the people, but I do think that pushing people outside of their comfort zone, if you truly believe they have the skills, is um, a trait of a leader that will help you get places. And I think that that was something that really pushed me. And I wouldn't, de I definitely wouldn't be as far in my career. I mean, I wouldn't have been an executive before I was 40 if these people hadn't been like, no, you can do that. No, you can run that. Like you've checked that off your list. Like you keep going. You've managed a PL. You can do it again. You've, you know, you built a pricing team in five weeks. You can do that again, right? Like giving you confidence that if you did this, I know you can do that over here. And just like building those transferable knowledge confidence flakes in me, I think is something that that really did help me. I don't know if it was really mentoring because I don't think we had like it wasn't again, this was a little while ago. It wasn't like he mentored me through it. Yeah. But he just like pushed me off the edge and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going. Yeah. But I don't know. It's something that I've really taken and said, no, if I believe in somebody, I'm going to push them to do more and I'm going to push them outside of their comfort zone. And, and I think that that's what, what helps. It's a good manager leader, but I think it, it helps people become more by not letting them sit in their comfort zone. Yeah. I think that I'm glad you touched on the advocacy part. We have a program where we talk about building your personal board of advisors and having an advocate, somebody to advocate for you is an integral part of that. And we do provide advice on how you can kind of build that relationship to gain that advocacy because it's not something you can just you can't just go up and ask somebody like hey can you start advocating for me yeah. <laughs> uh, what yep. would what would you say to people to work on having that person to advocate for hmm. I think it's important that it's at your company and so mm -hmm. I think that that because as much as it's nice to have an advocate for you from outside the company, those are 
harder sells for you inside your career. So I think that in internal company networking is really important. And I think that those are those moments where you have to go talk to the, to the boss. You have to be in the circles where they're at. You have to place yourself in front of them and have a few value propositions ready to, to impress them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you need to go with like your resume by any means, but I do think that in order to have somebody at, like the people that I've advocated for are people that just really impressed me. And I don't even know if it was necessarily like, they didn't come to me and say, Hey, on that last purchase order, I saved 3% margin in four days. It's not that it's just the way their thought patterns work. And the fact that they're thinking ahead and the mm-hmm. fact that they're like, hey, I joined in a conversation. I heard you guys talking about this. What if we do that, right? Not afraid to throw those ideas out there, right? And it's not in a meeting. It's more like in a in a um, like a networking setting. So I think that something as simple as asking somebody to lunch to get to know them or like setting up scenarios where you're going to get in front of those yeah. people that you would want to advocate for for you, right? Because you, in some way, shape or form, you have to get on the radar. Like you have to be in their circle. You have to get close enough that they like see you, right? Right. And whether that's networking or asking them to lunch, or I I do think it's a little more like, I wouldn't be formal about it. Because if if the company has like a mentorship program, you get paired or assigned with somebody. I think you have to impress them somehow on your own. Yeah. And I know that, and if you can't, then that's probably not the mentor that's going to be your advocate anyways. Like if you come in and you're like somehow not getting on their radar, you're not impressing them. Well, then they're probably not going to advocate for you. They're going to be like, yeah, she was fine, but I don't want her (laughs) in my meeting. Right. Like you do have to like read the social cues a little bit. And I just don't, I, I would say to some it, like, don't force it. Yeah. That's perfect. Perfect advice. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. I'd love to switch to some like non-leadership questions if sure. if you're okay with that. Um, sure. Do you have a morning or evening routine that you rely on to, or that you attribute your general wellness to? I would say not every day. I think as like a mom of three kids and the schedule and the like, I feel like I'm I'm trying to get better at it. But what I am trying to do is I'm trying to build better habits. And those habits are leading to more wellness. And I can't say I do it every day, but I'm trying to get in in routines that are building for success. I'm not, I know everyone's like, make your bed. I'm not a make your bed kind of gal, but I do believe in, I love to start my Sundays, starts my week of like, I lay out my weekly plan for the week. That just makes me feel like, okay, I got this. If something comes up, I know what I have to get done. I know what my non-negotiables are. That mentally sets me up for the week. And it's actually sounds so simple, but it's actually a newer habit that I've learned that I didn't put enough value into. So I think that that has been really important. I also feel like sitting in stillness is something that I've learned I needed. I'm not great at meditating yet. I'm like, It's like I try, but my brain wanders. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to build, I'm just calling them stillness moments for me because I'm trying to build the habit. And and every week that's one to two days of yoga. Like that is just stillness where I just try to slow my brain down and not think of things. I also really have enjoyed a program called Positive Intelligence. And it really is, it's like 
different ways of when your brain wanders, it's usually because you're judging yourself or you're overwhelmed by something. And it's, it was really just kind of these brain triggers to like, kind of bring me back to centered and not get overwhelmed. And I think that I'm really, um, it is, it is a program that you can do. It's a book, but that's really helped me just try to channel my energy because I do feel that I'm very energetic in the beginning of the week. And then by Friday, I can flip on the bitch switch because it's like, I'm just done. Mommy's had enough. Like I didn't plan my week out well. Like I just, I burned through my energy too quickly. So I think that having those moments of stillness to recharge my batteries, having those moments where I can bring my brain back to focus and not get overwhelmed has really been a way of channeling my energy. And that is something that I've had to get better at. So it's like every day I try to just have those stillness moments, whether sometimes it's just, I take the dog for a walk and I, but I don't listen to my headphones. I just walk. And the intention for me is just to, to not, to not think about something, right. To just clear my head. Um, that's something that has really helped with my wellness. And again, sometimes it's yoga because that really focuses you to stop thinking about things. So for me, it's, it's not something specific every day. It's just about a moment of stillness every day has been something that's been really, really beneficial to me. Um, I've also tried to build like healthy habits into my day of like, instead of at night, sometimes being like, oh, let's just have a glass of wine before bed. I've switched to let's have a glass of tea before bed, right? Like just switching something less healthy for something healthy. So I try to swap out a couple of things in my life that just, it just makes me feel better about it. Cause it's like, okay, instead of going and grabbing a candy bar, I'll grab a handful of almonds and like little things like that, um, are just new habits that I'm trying to build. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to say I'm trying to drink more water cause I am, but it's just not something that I do. I mean, I'm trying, see, it's, it's here. I just, I haven't drank any of it. I drink my tea instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, I think everybody could use more water uh, uh-huh. with, your, with your organization efforts. Is, are there any specific tools that you're using to do that? To do the wellness tracking stuff? Like to organize your week, like to plan oh, your week in advance. Yes. I have um, Ink and Volt is a really, really great website that I use their planners. I wish I had one near me. Maybe I do. Oh, wait, I totally have something. Yes. This is the one that I'm using now. It's the Panda. Oh, of course. You can't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, the Panda. It's the Panda planner, but it's got like, it, it's not like a daily one. It's more of a weekly one. So I can okay. lay out like my big wins from last week, things I want to make great the three like things I have to get done this week. And then like my Monday through Friday, those are kind of my like, and, and a lot of it's around the kids, right? So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Here's my work day, but what do I have to do before work, after work? What events do I have? Um, right. So I would say a planner is good. Ink and Volt. Um, those are really the the only ones I'm using. I actually have a, um, my friend introduced me, which is so simple, but it's the, it's the notepad app in uh, Apple. And I've actually been really like, when I just need to like jot a quick note down and I don't have my damn planner on me, like sometimes, so that's been a good one too in my apps. It's just the note. Right. Called note. Yeah. It's just like the yellow on the top. It's called notes. Yeah. It's just called that, notes. One, that one just like, sometimes I just have to get something out of my brain. And that has been really good for me is like, I have a to-do list a mile long. Yeah. 
And I just had to like declutter my brain a little bit and get things out of my brain so that I knew they resided somewhere I could look at later. And that's kind of been like getting my to-do list out there makes me feel more in control of my week and my day. Yeah. Versus I'm always trying to like keep it track of it in my brain. And then I forget something and then I beat myself up like, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot to call back somebody. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't write it down and yeah. you're going to forget about it. You know, it is so, it, it's so interesting and it is so important to, to write things down as you're thinking about it because yeah. your brain will continue to work and your brain will keep using energy to, Correct. I got to remember this. I got to remember this. Correct. Like, even though, even if you're not being conscious about it, it's, it's happening and it's using energy. So I, I, thank you for bringing that up. I, yeah. No, you're welcome. It's like, for me, it's like, it just, I kept like, oh, I forgot. And oh, I mm -hmm. forgot, but it wastes that energy. And it's like, I yeah. just had to figure out some way of getting it out. Yes. Do you have a go-to song when you need a little bit of energy boost or a confidence boost in your day? I've got a playlist that I, that I have that I really like. Um, I would say like my go-to song, like my like walk-up song that's mm -hmm. just like makes me feel powerful is like, this is me from The Greatest Showman. It's just yeah. that song where it's like, yeah, I have been through a lot, but I, I'm, this is me, right? Like, I think that one kind of just lets me accept like me for me and mm -hmm. forgive myself for not being perfect and for messing up and, you know, for, you know, just being kinder to myself. I really love that song. And then- Oh man, so many on my playlist. It really, it for me, it has to have like a good beat to it. Yeah. So I love like a lot of Megan Trainer stuff. I think I have like a whole thing of hers. And then uh, <laughs> Black Eyed Peas still creeps in there. I don't know why. Yeah. That one just kind of gets me going. Mm -hmm. but, well, this yeah. is me as great. That is really powerful. And I can understand like that yeah. being a, one of your main songs that and Megan yep. Trainer, Yeah, she's just, she's a lot of fun. Like her songs yeah, like, are always so upbeat. Yeah. Yeah, they just get me in a good mood. I'm always like, all right, like that. I don't know. I always feel like I'm smiling when I'm done with those songs. So usually I just go to my playlist and hit shuffle. And then I like will go through a couple. I'm like, all right, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Is there something you've bought recently around $100? doesn't I mean more or less that you would say has made a big difference in your quality of your life or your day to day? Hmm. Okay, I have two things. Okay. One is very superficial and one is more for wellness. I have found the best makeup setting spray. <laughs> what is it? And it's it's called Kuladas. I'll have to send you the link. We can post yeah. it. But it's it's like this organic. I think I got it in like my birch box once or something. And every photo that I took of myself, I looked like I had flawless airbrushed makeup. And I remember being like, damn, that is good stuff. So that one, I know it sounds bad, but even if I don't have a ton of time to do my makeup, I can throw on some blush and then like spray this setting spray. And I feel like I always look like more flawless than I ever could put together. So That's that awesome. one just That's builds great. like confidence when I like want to do a selfie. I'm like, oh, I don't have makeup on. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I've been trying to like not be as like self-conscious about that. Yeah. So, so my makeup setting spray has been my go-to. And then I've really found, actually, this is even more recently and now I can't live without it. It's called Hippie Tea. And it is a tea that I found in, um, when I was in Amelia Island, 
And it's, so again, I was trying to tell you, I was trying to switch out like non-healthy things like my diet Coke for like something a little healthier. And it's a tea that is non-caffeine, but it helps me focus. Hmm. And I've really found that like some days I just need like a pick-me-up and I was going for like the Diet Coke or another coffee and it just, it almost drained me more. Again, trying to maintain that energy flow has been very important for me mm-hmm. and I was going to the wrong vices. And so mm-hmm. this tea has really helped me just be more alert and focused and I feel like maybe it's now like a hyper, not a hyperbole, placebo maybe in this. Mm, yeah. I don't think it is because I really love it. But when I t- when I drink the tea, I just feel like, okay. I'm laser focused. I got this, you know. Is there a flavor that you like or is uh is it well, named like focus or it's called it's called hold on. Where where did I bring it with me? Hold on. No, I didn't. I thought maybe I had it. I'm drinking it now, but I was like <laughs> Yeah. So it's by the the spice and tea exchange online. Okay. And it's just called hippie tea. It's just called hippie tea. Okay. Yep. Yeah, but it's like, it's just one of those things that like, I actually feel healthier. I feel like it's makes me more alert. I'm making healthier choices. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's one of those habits that I'm trying to build. It's like drinking Mm -hmm. more tea (laughs) and my makeup setting spray. Those are like two things that I feel like I could pull off any Zoom meeting if I have those two things. (laughs) (laughs) Very important. (laughs) Now, is there a book that you've read, doesn't have to be recently, and it can be fiction or nonfiction that you read that you would recommend to our audience? Um, well, I have a few, well, I'm trying to do more audibles. I don't mm-hmm. really love reading, to be honest. Like I, I had an hour commute to and from work each day. So I would like try to do audibles. Mm-hmm. Um, My all-time favorite book is Good to Great. Yeah. It just... I think I, I read it at different points in my career and it teaches me different things, right? It's like early on, I remember I had to read it at GE. I probably have it around here somewhere. Let's see. Yes. So I actually have it like all the time by me because it, so Jim Collins, good to great, but it really just, I feel like it always teaches me something new about how you can always improve on something and in a good way, right? It's like it's like that building momentum kind of concept of the flywheel. That to me is, is just a concept that resonates. And I think that's why I like Liz Wiseman book so much too, is like the flywheel, right? It takes a lot to get it going, mm-hmm. but then once it does, it's on, it's, it's just, it's unstoppable. Right. Yeah. And I think Liz Wiseman, like her multipliers book is something that builds on that too, because it's like, you can take somebody and invest in them and get 10 times out of them. If you invest the right time and the right energy, you can actually get, you can multiply something so much more by the inputs that you give. And I think that that and the accidental diminishers, right? If just tone it back a little bit, I think it gets so much better. It's all about, for me, like about how to get maximized results and not Mm -hmm. just like to EBITDA or like profitability. It's like, how do you grow and scale a company? Well, you build momentum, right? And you you get that flywheel going and you have to get the foundation right. That's kind of the good to great. And then the Liz Wiseman, the multipliers is really about like yourself and your energy. And, you know, how do you put, how do you take the energy you put into somebody and multiply it times a hundred, right? It's like the concept of, you know, you can either teach somebody to fish or fish for them, right? It's, it's kind of like that, of like, how do you take your leadership and and multiply it in people? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think those two books, like building momentum is something that's, that's obviously resonates with me personally. So those are, those are two really good books. What's the one? I mean, recently I'm reading Wonder Hell by Laura. Oh shoot. It's next to me somewhere here. Hold on. Laura uh, Gassner Odding. I do not have her book with me. Sorry, Hmm. but it's called Wonder Hell. And it's about how when you get to a point in success, it doesn't quite feel like you thought it would. Because you're always having that imposter syndrome or the doubtsville or there's just another layer of it or you're you're elevated your experience. And it's really just how to see the you that you can be and remove some of those walls and some of those mental blocks that you do to yourself, right? And mm. and it's um I'm reading it right now. So I'm actually get to, I get to meet her on Thursday. So it's probably mm. why I'm still reading it. But but it's just a really good book about like in transition of like my career transition, it's like, it just didn't quite like feel like I thought it would, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I got to this point and I still want to know what's next. So it's not like nothing's ever good enough. It's like, Hmm, why did this not feel like I thought it would, you know, I'm in my forties, I've sold and run a company, like what's next, what do I do next? And just kind of how to like remove those blocks from your, from your mental, um, your mental vocabulary to yourself so that you can be your full potential. And those are kind of the books. I, I really only read motivational books because mm-hmm. I just don't have time for much else. But I also, like I said, I'm trying to get that energy flow and, and manage that. So when I'm motivated, I'm like, okay, it's okay. This is imposter town today. Today we're in the Imaginarium. We're envisioning all the things we could be like. So I feel like I like books that put something in very simplistic concepts and roadmaps that are easy to digest. Um, So yeah. You you can't go wrong with good to great for sure. And uh, I've never, I haven't heard of the other book that you mentioned. I'm definitely going to take a look at that. Yeah, Liz Wiseman. I know, I'm sorry. I should have thought of it. I have all my books like near me all the time. Well, even like the the Wonder Wonder Hell, is that what it's called? Yes, Wonder Hell I do have. That one I have here. Oh, again. (laughs) Okay. Oh, oh, oh no, he disappeared. Oh, no. There it is. Okay, there's Wonder <laughs> Okay. That's perfect. what I'm reading right now. Thank yeah, you. by Laura Gassner Odding. She also wrote Limitless. But yeah, it's just it's fun. It's got, you know, like it's got different rides that you go through, right? There's imposter town, burnout city, doubtsville. Mm-hmm. And it just I don't know. I like things that are fun. Like it yeah. walks you through like the different oh, journeys and like all yeah. the rides you go on and like right now I kind of feel like I'm on the Ferris wheel right like what's next like mm-hmm. I would really like to get off the Ferris wheel and do something that is more fun and lights me up and that's like a pivot point for me in my career so I think no matter where you're at in your career you have those self-doubt moments and how do you get past them it doesn't matter yeah. where you're at right I mean in my 40s and 20 years I'm now like what's next mm-hmm. you know and I just don't think that you ever get out of that what's next phase. And I think it just, that's okay. As long as you know how to break through, you know, yeah. break through the wall. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's yeah definitely part of growth and mm-hmm. you're just at that next year. You need to break through to that next level of whatever, whatever mm-hmm. that is. And um, I don't want that to sound like you never, you never figure it out, but like it, part of the journey is breaking through those yeah. walls and finding what's on the other side of it. And that continues throughout your career. So get used to it and figure out like how you break through those walls and how you, like I had, I had an executive friend that used to call it the seven year itch. Every seven years, you just get the itch to do something new. And I didn't get the seven year itch, but I was like, well, that's your thing. You know, mm-hmm. like 
every seven years you want something new and you know that about yourself so you can prepare for it. And when you get bored in your career, you might either sit in that moment or you, you know, you know, when you're ready to break that wall down. So, yeah, I do think that like self-awareness is a big piece of career growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I, I realize we've gone <laughs> way over our, a lot of time. I really appreciate um, you spending the time with us here today. And I, it's been such a great conversation. Yeah. I'd love for to close things out. You're now officially part of our audience's hype squad. So is there like one piece of advice or inspiration you'd leave the audience with before you go? And lastly, is it okay for listeners to reach out to you if they'd like? And if it is, how would they reach out to you? Yeah, for sure. So reaching out to me on LinkedIn is the best way. So Michelle Peacock, P-E-C-A-K on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. I'll respond to DMs um, and then we can connect there. I think my email is also listed on LinkedIn. So I would say that's the place to reach out and I'll definitely respond. I think the piece of advice that I would really leave is just be your authentic self. And I, it's okay if you don't know what that is yet and you're figuring it out, but know your values, know what's important to you, know what brings you joy. And I think that throughout your career, you might find new things that you need to evolve and, and that become part of that. But I would really challenge you to be the best version of yourself. And I don't think you can be that without being authentic. Yeah. Perfect advice to leave on. So. Thank awesome. you so much, Michelle. Yeah, Thank you awesome. for coming on and sharing your experiences and and such a was for such a great conversation. Yeah, no, I'm so glad we got to join us. Us Michelle stick together, right? Yes, <laughs> Michelle's have to stick together. It is exactly. it is funny talking to a Michelle. Like. <laughs> yep, I know. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm honored. I hope that that I can connect to some of the audience and, and hopefully my message resonated. So thank yes. you for having me. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle again. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on our weekly episodes. And if you're really feeling it, please leave a review. We'd love to have your support. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share things we're excited about, things we found funny or inspiring, and must-read leadership videos and articles we came across that week. You can subscribe by going to www.thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. That's www thebosstrack.com forward slash weekly joy. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.